Hello again, and welcome to another weekly installment of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I'm Pastor Dan, and once again I'll be leading you through this week's virtual Bible study. Our fundamental goal is knowing God, and our essential assumption is that the Bible is a message from God that in and of itself is adequate for our knowledge of the heart and mind of our God, and therefore it can inform our hearts and minds. Of course we know that you can get God's Word in many forms, but it is completely possible to know God in a way that leads to your salvation through Scripture. So if you're not a Bible reader, pick one up and start reading. And then come along with us in this virtual Bible study. Be a part of a church. Get involved with a Bible study group. Go to Sunday school. Find a friend. Read the Bible with them and talk about what it means. It is in reading scripture, thinking about what it says, applying it to our own context, and discussing it with people we know that we truly begin to know God with heart and mind. Each week I'll help you here in this virtual Bible study to examine scripture through tradition, through our present reality, through our imagination and our common sense, and hopefully by taking that approach, have a better understanding of what the Bible is really saying to us about God and our relationship with God. I use the Revised Common Lectionary to choose the readings for each broadcast, and uh, That's primarily because I am a working pastor, and uh, this is part of how we choose the readings at our church anyway to uh, prepare for our worship services each week. The Revised Common Lectionary is a schedule of readings that's been around for many, many, many years and has been in different forms throughout those years, but it's used by believers who worship in all sorts of different kinds of churches as a way of visiting much of Scripture throughout a cycle of three years, and then also using this particular schedule of readings to experience the holy seasons, like the one we're in now, the season of Lent, more completely. So it's definitely an an, uh, instrument of God that is used in particular in churches that uh, are uh, among the most common mainline denominations. It doesn't mean that we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and occasionally choose our own way. It just means that God can use this schedule of readings to help us in our journey with God. Anyway, enough about that. Let's move on to some announcements and a Parsons Prairie tale. Well, I told you last week that this podcast is not anything spectacular when it comes to uh, high-quality equipment. I do have a nice microphone, though, but uh, it happens that my notebook computer that I use to uh, prepare this podcast and uh, about a thousand other things has developed a noisy cooling fan. I tried to clean it the other day, but that doesn't seem to reduce the racket, so if you hear the buzzing in the background... Well, it's the cooling fan on my notebook computer. Well, maybe one of these days I'll end up with some uh, uh, better stuff. But, you know, I ain't complaining. What I've got works just fine. And uh, technology is changing so fast that every time you think you've got what will work for you or the latest and the greatest, then there's just another thing, right? And uh, that's, by the way, one of my premises for all of Bible study that I do I'm convinced that when you do Bible study, the first thing you have to recognize is is that human nature hasn't changed very much, just technology. People are people. And uh, so when you read about people in the Bible or even people in American history or even people uh, from diversely different cultures, there are certain things that you can pretty well expect. And uh, the only thing that changes the situation is an awareness of the cultural norms and uh, the technology. And if you have a grasp of the technology and the cultural norms, you can apply what you understand about yourself pretty reasonably and come to certain good conclusions. 
Well, there's a little bonus Bible study learning thing there. Uh, as far as announcements go, this recording is for uh, the October, October, <laughs> you know, I've been tripping over my tongue since I started recording today and I'm tired of going back and fixing it. So you guys get to hear that uh, little tongue tangle there just uh, as uh, a little bonus material. Now, oh, this coming Sunday, the recording that uh, we're doing right now is for uh, April the 9th, which is Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday. Those are two of the same thing. And churches that follow the the uh, liturgical traditions, uh, the uh, church calendar, uh, that is a Sunday that typically begins with the celebration of some kind to uh, commemorate Jesus entering Jerusalem and being greeted with waving palms and uh, cloaks thrown on the ground before him and uh, a sort of royal entry. And uh, of course that Sunday usually ends with the story of Jesus's passion, um, his betrayal, the Last Supper, the betrayal, the uh, trial, the arrest, uh, the death on the cross. Now, for people who only attend church on the Sunday of Holy Week, uh, preceding Holy Week, then that's pretty much where they get the whole story. But then there are many who will go to church throughout the week to uh, recall the passion of Jesus in a more uh, slow and methodical way. And uh, so what we're going to do with the readings this week is we're going to do a lot of scripture reading and uh, perhaps a little less commentary. And that's okay, because sometimes Scripture just needs to speak plainly for itself. But first, a Parsons Prairie tale. Now, once upon a time here on Parsons Prairie, we had a couple of ducks. And when they were young, we didn't know which was a girl and which was a boy. We googled how to tell them apart and a lot of other things. And what we found out was, until they get a little older, you just don't know. So I had the bright idea that I wanted to name them Oscar and Felix. You know, like the odd couple from many, many years ago. Funny thing is, though, eventually it became pretty clear that uh, Oscar was a girl. And Felix happened to have a gimpy leg, and therefore he kind of walked with more than a usual duck waddle. And uh, so as the two matured, I learned to really appreciate these Peking ducks. They were white and uh, they were really quite fun and and they were in a lot of ways not that different from a dog uh, they they followed me around everywhere they seemed to enjoy my company and uh and boy they like to talk too so the first thing i noticed about ducks and chickens is that uh, ducks always sound like they're in a bad mood or they're yelling or they're trying to give you a hard way to go you know whack 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 and sometimes that's really just the duck's way of saying, I'm so glad to see you. It's so nice to see you. And, you know, uh, Oscar in particular was really fond of me. And she liked to come up to me and, and uh, quack at me and flap her wings and stand up on her legs. And then she'd settle down next to me and curl her nose, uh, her beak under her wing. And she'd uh, close her eyes and sleep right under my feet. And uh, sometimes she liked to have me pick her up and hold her and cuddle her and I just couldn't believe it. I've never had ducks before. I had no idea such a thing was possible. Uh, Oscar was a little jealous, uh, or I mean <laughs> Felix was a little jealous of Oscar, but uh, fate stepped in and kind of resolved that problem. For one night, uh, Felix was quite disturbed by something that was going on down by the creek that runs through Parsons Prairie, a creek called No Name Creek. And uh, Felix went down to investigate and was never seen again. And then, of course, that left Oscar with no mate. And Oscar decided that I must be the mate. Now, I must say that I was flattered, but uh, it was also kind of disturbing. You know, in the mornings I would get up and go out to feed the animals and take care of everybody. And then I would make the journey down the Ruthie Road just past the septic summit and into the church parking lot and into the church building, but not before I had to visit with Oscar, 
who would follow me all the way to the church if I didn't stop and visit with her. So I was sort of compelled to give quality time to a duck so that I could go give quality time to the people of the church and the Lord. Now, Oscar was a peculiar duck in the way that she had this affection for me, and yet she also seemed to have affections for some flyboys that came by from time to time. Now, I call them the flyboys. They were wild mallard ducks who wore those beautiful green leather caps that the pilots wore back in the war. Uh, and uh, they would come cruising in over Parsons Prairie, flying in formation. They would buzz over the chicken pen and looking for Oscar. They would eventually settle in for a perfect three-point landing in uh, No Name Creek. And then Oscar would waddle off down to the creek and join them. I used to question her morality a little bit, but I decided that I probably didn't understand ducks well enough. So instead, I just encouraged her to mind her manners and invite her boys up to uh, the backyard where we could visit. They never did come up. But eventually, those flyboys, being military men, went off to do whatever it was that they did and uh, might not be seen again for weeks at a time. And just when we figured they were never coming back, those flyboys would come buzzing over Parsons Prairie, do a flyby of the back porch of the parsonage, and then circle in and land at No Name Creek, and down Oscar would go to visit with them. And they did lead her to difficulty, because in time, they would teach her that it was okay to swim long distances down No, Gate, no Name Creek, and sometimes old Oscar wouldn't come back for a day or two at a time. And just when I had been thoroughly trained by her. So, there you go. Ducks who are mixed in their uh, affections and uh, fly-by-night uh, sort of uh, uh, free-spirited free uh, uh, wild mallard ducks all on Parsons Prairie and under the watchful eye of Pastor Dan. There's more to tell from that whole series of interesting events over those years. But for now, it's time to do what we really came here to do. Let's read from Scripture. reading from the Palm Sunday Liturgy first, Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and verses 19 to 29. We'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. And when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. 
This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him had uh, followed and shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was a turmoil asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth Nazareth in Galilee. Let us pray. God of our salvation, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came in your name and turned the lonely way of rejection and death into triumph. Grant us the steadfast faith to enter the gates of righteousness, that we may receive grace to become worthy citizens of your holy realm. Amen. Well, the Palm Sunday readings tell us the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Now, he's been there before. He's been there many times before. But since his ministry years began three years earlier, he has become quite a public figure. And he has not been any more controversial than he is in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he is a religious uh, anomaly that is a definite thorn in the side to the religious authorities. Um, the only way I could think to, to illustrate it is that, uh, you know, you might be somebody who, who dabbles in the politics of the local school board in your small community somewhere. But uh, if you think you're going into Washington, D.C. to uh, go toe-to-toe with the politicians who are in charge of education, you've got another thing coming. And this is essentially how Jesus was perceived by the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jerusalem. It was concerning to them that this fellow back in the backwoods of Galilee was gaining some popularity. And it was interesting to them that he might actually have some real spiritual uh, authority. But when he came into Jerusalem, he was in their town where things are handled a certain way by the inside the beltway crowd and uh, certainly in the religious and political sense inside the walls of Jerusalem was like being inside the beltway of Washington DC and so these people were far less concerned with his genuine spiritual nature his divinity uh, and far more concerned with his impact on the political scene and uh, so once Jesus is brought into town as the deliverer, he, he's like the outsider candidate who is no longer uh, uh, just a, a sort of strange anomaly and even a bit of a joke. He's suddenly a force to be reckoned with. And this is, this is how Jesus is perceived by the religious authorities when the people start laying their cloaks and their palm branches down on the road before him. And the scripture also wants us to understand that Jesus is doing this to fulfill prophecy. He is being brought into the city in the same way that the new king would be brought into the city. He's being brought to the temple, though, as the final sacrifice. And so there are so many layers of rich meaning in the story of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem that day. He is in effect bringing about his demise by provoking the religious authorities to the point where they feel compelled to do something about him. He is 
uh, an irritant to the Roman authorities who simply want peace and at whatever cost will try to prevent any kind of rioting. And uh, he's also delivering a spiritual message and fulfilling his high spiritual purpose. That part is more easily seen by us in retrospect than it was by those who knew him at the time. But we do have the ability to look back on this event and recognize that Jesus was bringing himself to the temple as the last sacrifice. He was bringing himself to the temple and being prepared as a sacrifice. And in every way, his entry is a sign of that. Now when you look at this uh, psalm reading that we had, you begin to understand the words of praise that are applied to Jesus. But now we move on to the Passion. Let us take a look now at the readings of the Passion Liturgy. First we read from Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 to 9. The Lord God has given me the teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he awakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near, who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Psalm 31, verses 9 to 16. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street file, flee from me. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Take me in your steadfast love. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The Passion of Jesus from Matthew chapter 26 verses 
14 to 27 and 66. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. And when it was evening, he took his place with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him, one after another, Surely not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, But woe to the one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It, will be, it would have been better for that one to not have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He replied, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of its fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but you, what you want. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away for a second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him. Arrived with him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, 
Uh, the one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him. Once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly one of those with Jesus put his hand on the sword and drew it and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into place. For all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say, It must happen this way? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place, so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house scribes and the elders had gathered. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards in order to see how, if, how this would end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer? What is, what is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? They answered. He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are also one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. At that moment the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said before the cock crows. You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas's betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is it to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since they are blood money. After conferring together, they used them to buy the potter's field as a place to bury foreigners. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. 
Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one on whom a price had been set, on whom some of the people of Israel had set a price. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. And the Pilate said, and Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release prisoners, to release a prisoner from the crowd, anyone they wanted. Uh, let me read that again. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? We realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. And the governor again said to him, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And all of them said, Let him be crucified. And then he asked, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. And so when Pilate saw that he could do nothing but rather, but rather than a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, His blood be on our children and us. And so he released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the reed and struck him in the head. And after mocking him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And then, and when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads, and saying, You would destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he wants to, for he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. 
From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, This man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Many women were also there looking on from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee and had provided for him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate ordered it to be given to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. He then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that uh, the impostor said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise again. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day, Otherwise his disciples may go and steal him away and tell the people he has been raised from the dead and the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it and as secure as you can. And so they went with the guard and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone. Given how long that last reading was and how rich it is with powerful, powerful images, I don't think I'm going to do a lot of pastoral pontification. I can't really begin to take all of that and break it down adequately. So I want to focus on one part of it that I think is the most meaningful to me. It stems from the fact that I've had the privilege of visiting the Holy Land a few times and I've had the experience of seeing the many locations associated with the story. And whenever you go to visit a place that is as historically rich and multi-layered as Israel and Palestine and Jerusalem, it's easy for the sites and locations to become more of a tradition than an absolute certainty. There just aren't many places where it can be surely known. And yet, there is enough there for us to have a sense of things. It's certainly worth going there to see what uh, what there is to see of the sites. Because you begin to understand the land, and you begin to understand many things about that that region and the stories of the Bible come alive in a new way for you. Now, there are people who go on pilgrimages to the Holy Land many times or at many occasions, and there are others who go once in a lifetime. And for some, it is a profound experience that causes a, a religious and uh, spiritual sort of uh, 
drunkenness almost you know they they go to these places and they become so overwhelmed by the spirit of the places um that it's it's really something to see and i don't discredit them in any way but um you know i'm just very realistic and uh and i i'm not real mystical and yet i have absolute faith that everything that is described in scripture really happened and that it happened there i i just don't try to psych myself into expecting certain things to happen rather i just hope that they will because it's real now this only happened to me in one place in my travels to the holy land i've been to some of the places where things really don't seem that different like around the area of the sea of galilee it just isn't that different from when jesus was there and it certainly feels very authentic but but i haven't felt myself particularly moved or touched deep in my spirit but in the garden of gethsemane there is there is some sort of energy there that i've experienced every time and i've asked other people and they've experienced it too now i'm going to speculate just based on my own experiences that this is perhaps due to the fact that somewhere in that vicinity jesus had prayed in the way that we heard in the passion story just a few minutes ago and i believe that at that moment when jesus gave up his resistance to fulfilling this will of the father and when jesus in that moment was beginning the process that would turn into the story of our redemption he was battling with the forces of satan himself that this was the place for a cosmic struggle and it was in jesus's surrender and his willingness to accept the cup that the beginning of our redemption took place i believe that this was the beginning of jesus's first and only time of loneliness what's hard for us to imagine and understand is, is that we're lonely we don't think we are we don't even understand the meaning of the word in this context but we are lonely because we're separated from our creator we're separated from the one who breathes our soul into existence we're separated by sin our sin separates us from our creator our god who being one in three is never separated from the distinct persons of the holy trinity and i believe at this moment when jesus takes upon us uh, himself our sin he has taken the burden that separates him for a time from part of himself that he's never been separate from and so in that way he has borne something impossible for us to conceive in that way he is in the garden calling out to his three closest friends because in that moment that's all he has and they're sleeping no wonder he can be certain that one will betray him that one will deny him that they will all run well i hope you've enjoyed our time together today i know it's been heavy on scripture reading and a little short on commentary but uh sometimes the scripture just speaks pretty loudly for itself and it doesn't need my help if you want to go back and play the scripture readings over again and really meditate on these things as you begin your holy week of devotion 
If you're not part of a church somewhere, this is the week to do it. This is the week to worship with others as you contemplate our Savior, as you contemplate once again the gift of redemption that he's given, the passing over of our sin and our just punishment, the gift of grace from God that saves us, the spirit that enlivens us for all eternity. Now is the time. Wherever you're hearing this, think about people you love and invite them to join you in worshiping our Savior this week and Easter Sunday. If you're not part of a church, find one. Find one where they believe the Bible is true. If you're in Parsons Prairie vicinity, then come and see us at Corinth United Methodist Church. We'd be glad to have you. Corinth is a warm place where you can join Christian friends and other seekers and sojourners. It is a place where friends can become family and the family becomes the body of Christ. We'd love to have you join us. And if you are worshiping somewhere else, but you want to show your appreciation as an act of worship for this podcast, then uh, please visit CorinthUMC.com and use the PayPal link to help support this podcast. We appreciate it so much, and we hope that you see that it is an act of worship, that it is a way of expressing your gratitude and love for God, and it serves God by preventing, presenting this opportunity in, uh, in the many ways that God uses Corinth's ministries and the service of yours truly. So, for now, I want to wish you a so holy, holy week, a sacred and holy week. I want to wish you well, and I want to invite you to receive the love of Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them. Go now in the peace of Christ.